Hello, friends, and welcome to this week's edition of Truth to Power. My name is Justin Mogg. I'm one of the volunteers here at the station. And every week on Truth to Power, we gather folks from around the community for conversations you won't hear anywhere else. And this week, I'm really excited to bring you a conversation that was held on Sunday, December 4th. It was called Save Bernheim Now, and it was held at All People's Church. And it's all about the fact that LGNE is taking Bernheim Arboretum and Research Forest to court in order to condemn their property and to construct a high-pressure natural gas transmission pipeline through some very special places right outside of Louisville. The court date is January 10th, and Bernheim is using its scarce resources to fight this aggression. It's time for those of us who love Bernheim and oppose new destructive fossil fuel initiatives to fight this battle personally. And that's what today's show is all about. Of course, you can learn more at savebernheimnow.org, and there's some great resources there that'll help you take action on this issue. But for now, sit back and listen. We're going to start off with some highlights from the day on December 4th. We're going to hear from Bernheim's Executive Director, Mark Warms, followed by their Director of Conservation, Andrew Berry. We'll also hear from Reverend Elisa Owen from the Kentucky Interfaith Power and Light Organization, as well as retired Bellarmine Environmental Studies Professor Rob Kingsolver and Kenyetta Johnson, former guest on Sustainability Now here on Forward Radio, speaking on behalf of the Kentucky Student Environmental Coalition. And we'll wrap up with a few words from Reverend Bruce Beisner of the host, All People's Church. With no further ado, let's take you back to December 4th and the Save Bernheim Now event here on Truth to Power. Good afternoon, everyone. It's a real pleasure and honor to be here with so many friendly faces. I'm Mark Warms, and you know, I wish we weren't here today. Because if we weren't here today, it would mean that we were on a sustainable path forward, that the world was responding as it should to the climate crisis, that the world was using common sense about energy and community development and sustainability. But that's not where we are. So let's spend a moment and talk about Bernheim and the crises that it faces. As you've heard, Bernheim was founded 93 years ago by Isaac Wolf Bernheim. And it was his dream that Bernheim as a place, and I think as an idea, would be available to all people forever, regardless of race, creed, or economic status. We follow that today. And I'm happy to say that we have over 350,000 and more visitors each year from diverse backgrounds, from throughout the state of Kentucky and the surrounding states, but also throughout the United States and the world. And so Bernheim speaks for all of Kentucky, for all of nature. And we have to remember that this issue is bigger than Bernheim. It sounds like Bernheim is a big place, 16,140 acres, which by the way is 25.5 square miles. To put that in perspective, that's the island of Manhattan in New York. But instead of millions of people, we have millions of trees. We're the birthplace of 13 streams. So we're providing clean air, clean water, wildlife, beauty, tranquility for these communities around us, but for the globe as well. Who here cares about clean air and clean water? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> That's unanimous for those of you who can't see those hands raised. Um, you know, uh, but three and a half years ago, Bernheim faced three threats. One was from a proposed highway bypass 
Around Louisville, we have the, the Watterson, the Gene Snyder, and a third one was being proposed. And that one may have even gone right through the front gate of Bernheim or right in front of the front gate of Bernheim. Well, with the help of people like you and amazing organizations throughout the region, we beat that proposal. That, pipe, that highway will not occur. And by the way, in the process, we saved the people of Kentucky $800 million. Instead of uh, doing a new bypass, they're going to use half that money to improve local roads. Not a bad trade-off, is it? The second was a proposed 12-mile pipeline proposed by LG&E to pump hydrocarbons for the next 70 years. That 12-mile pipeline would go through part of Bernheim and many of our neighboring lands, neighbors' lands. And that part of Bernheim is called the Cedar Grove Wildlife Corridor. And that's an important aspect because Bernheim, as big as it seems, is ecologically small. We need to stay connected to other natural lands, to other waterways, and that's what the Wildlife Corridor was going to do, run up north towards the Salt River. And that Salt River is a highway in a good sense for wildlife. So that's why that is important. We don't want that corridor further impacted by this pipeline. We also don't want to be pumping hydrocarbons for the next 70 years when we should be moving to a carbon-free economy and environment and in the next 20. And the third threat that Bernheim faced three and a half years ago is still with us as well. And that is the existential threat of climate change. But you know, we're doing our share. We're trying to be best stewards of natural lands and natural lands provide natural resilience to climate change. We're also trying to be role models, practice what we preach. So we've put together a Bernheim Climate Crisis Action Plan, where our buildings, our operations, our, our very visitor services will continue to be greener and greener and greener in rapid order over the next few years. We're excited about the challenge of being carbon free. And we're excited about the challenge of helping Kentucky turn around and be a leader in carbon free economy, ecology, and society. Wouldn't that be a nice dream to realize? Yeah. This pipeline threatens many things. And you'll hear about some of this in a, in a moment from Andrew Barry. But it threatens landowners' rights. We have a private for-profit corporation taking land to make more money. It threatens states' land, owning, land rights. Uh, they are literally suing the state of Kentucky to break conservation easements and deed restrictions. It threatens some endangered species and some rare species and some species that are so unknown that we don't even know if they're rare and endangered. There are three bats gray, northern long-eared, and Indiana bats that use this area, along with about eight or nine others. But just the other day, the northern long-eared, unfortunately, was listed in a transition from rare to endangered. That's the wrong direction, everybody. We need to be going back. We need to be restoring these wildlife populations. Why do we care about bats? Well, one, I think they have a moral right to exist. 
they have the right to be here. Two is that they're really important in the ecology, in, in food networks. They're really important as insect eaters. They're very important as uh, forest fertilizers, uh, cave fertilizers. They're really great creatures. And some of them have faces only a mother could love. But maybe that's why we should love them, right? Um, we also have some snails on that land. Some so rare that we don't even know if they're rare and endangered. And why should we care about snails? Did you know Bernheim has 82 species of snails? What? Most people don't even know there are that many snails out there. But why are they important? It's because they recycle calcium. They're, the, they're licking the limestone rocks, and then what, that goes into their shells. And when their shells get eaten, that's biologically available. You know, it's all tied together. We're all in this. We're part of that same food web. We're part of that same ecology. And of course, the pipeline threatens another thing, and that is to aggravate the climate crisis. As I said before, they want to pump hydrocarbons for the next 70 years. So gang, it is up to you. We're doing our part. On January 10th, we're back in court on this uh, Bullock County Circuit Court and the right to take our land. And you know, unfortunately, a lot of the laws and rules and practice are written against organizations and individuals. So it's been an uphill battle. But you know what? I'm proud to be in that battle with you all because you really are the voices that make the difference. And so we'll see what happens in January. But you know, even if that doesn't go our way, we still have opportunities because of Clean Water Act activities out there and a few other things. So please, this does not end with the pipeline. The pipeline is a symptom. This is about the future of sustainable Kentucky, the future of a planet that we want to live in and leave our children. I, we're going to, um, if, if you can, can we hold a question until we get Andrew Berry up here, our Director of Conservation? He's going to run through a couple of things to bring this to life for you, and then we'll take a few questions. Thank you very much. Thank you all for being here. You know, it was summer of 2019 that Mark and I and some of the Burnheim team were here in the same room speaking to people about the same issue. Um, so we've been in this almost four years now. And as Mark said, it's, a, it's been an uphill battle. But, you know, remember this, LG&E has now been locked in this battle as well to try to get this proposed natural gas pipeline. Longer than they've been messing with Bernheim. They've been messing with private landowners. Um, so now I'm starting to think that LG&E is the one facing the uphill battle. Um, as Mark said, we've got a condemnation lawsuit coming up on January the 10th. Whether we win or lose, and I'll say the, you know, the cards are stacked against us on this one, but whether we win or lose, uh, LG&E has got a long way to go before they get that pipe in the ground. They've got challenges from the Center for Biological Diversity and the Kentucky Resources Council about the uh, biological opinion, which involves federally endangered bats and other creatures on that property. Um, they've got challenges from the uh, Section 404 and 401 water quality certification and stream permits. Uh, there's still decisions to be made with the Army Corps. Um, and not to mention that there is a lot of people asking about the cost of this pipeline. You know, it was originally slated at 25 million. Now it's gone up over 80 million. And I think that is just a drop in the bucket of what they will end up spending on this. 
Why is LG&E fighting so hard to get this pipeline? You all have probably heard in the news recently that it's not just this pipeline that LG&E is trying to push through. It's a whole bunch of other projects, right? It's uh, coal-fired power plants that they want to keep running all the way past 2070, right? Yeah, shame on them. Um, it is uh, hidden in documents that they just submitted to PSC. It's natural gas power plants that they want to build. They try to keep that a secret, right? You know, and then this pipeline, which as Mark stated, it's going to push hydrocarbons for at least the next 70 years and probably longer. That is their plan to just continue to be dependent upon fossil fuels to not make the changes that they need to make to continue down the wrong path for our community. We know from climate change awareness, from land use change awareness, from biodiversity awareness, we know that we can't wait another 50 or 70 years to make the changes. LG&E has got the resources. They've got the engineers. They know the right direction. They can do the right thing. And they can start right now with this pipeline as the key issue to starting to do the right thing. So we're all going to stay on this. I mean, seeing all these people in this room, it, it's, so, it's so invigorating, you know. We couldn't fight this pipeline if it wasn't for people like Mark being willing to fight this at the head of Bernheim. If it wasn't for our board of trustees who has stood beside us and given us the go to continue fighting this and raise money around it. We couldn't fight if it wasn't for supporters like you all who have been providing resources for our legal defense providing voices when we're not around on this issue and just fighting the good fight. So thank you all. Bernheim worked for at least the past 15 years to make this project possible. You know, even at 16,000 acres, Bernheim can't exist as an island. And we've got growth and land use change and climate change all around us. Um, so to protect key parcels of land that, that move out for wildlife towards other protected areas and um, and just connect Bernheim with other areas and allow us to be resilient into the future. That's what we work to do. And um, Cedar Grove Wildlife Corridor, as you can see, there's a, a swath right through the middle, which is already a big scar. That's an East Kentucky power line. And they want to put that pipeline right there adjacent to it. And, um, you know, it's a lot different than a power line. It uh, actually would go through the ground. It would damage the forest, which could never come back on the site. It would impact the rock outcrops, the streams, the vegetation, and it's just something that we can't allow to happen on this piece of land. You know, and, and you all are all aware of this. Uh, you see the reports that are coming out about climate change, about water, the sustainability Louisville plan, the Living Planet report just came out recently, talking about how 70% of wildlife populations globally have declined in the last 50 years. Um, you know, these kinds of reports need to be heated. We got, we've got to pay attention to these types of things. We've got to try to live up to this. Um, you know, LG&E clearly is not getting the message. So we got to all elevate our voices to let them know that these types of studies and reports are, are real and that we need to be doing more. So there's a couple of key reasons why Bernheim is fighting this, and I want to run down to them. Number one, protecting landowner rights. Private property has always been an important thing here in Kentucky and throughout the United States. This issue is no different. You know, the idea that uh, an energy company like LG&E can use 
false narratives to gain a certificate of public necessity and convenience, to run this pipeline across private land, and to condemn private landowners. I don't think that's right. And so we are fighting for private property rights. We're fighting for clean water. We're fighting for conservation easements and deed restrictions that say that if a place like Bernheim buys land for conservation with federal and state funding, that we should be able to protect that land in perpetuity and not have an energy company come through a couple years later and, and bust those up. Uh, but we're also fighting to ensure opportunities for future generations in nature. Bernheim puts about 10,000 school kids through our gates every year uh, for sanctioned nature-based programming. Uh, we do over 300,000 that come for informal experiences in nature. And keeping these kinds of opportunities and these types of places around for the future generations of children and everybody else to enjoy, that's really important. It's actually priceless. You can't put a dollar amount on the clean air, the clean water, the forests, and everything else that we provide at Bernheim. We've got to fight and we've got to give voice for every tree out there, every rock, every stream. Um, so you can see why that wildlife corridor was so important and why we were so focused on putting this green space between our arboretum and these other protected areas up to the north. Um, it's going to allow wildlife to thrive and, and exist over the generations to come. When you come down to Bernheim, those are those industrial warehouses that you see. And that's pretty much what this proposed pipeline is, is feeding. It's feeding a lot of growth around Bernheim, a lot of growth that's threatening Bernheim's sanctity and existence over the long run. We know that LG&E has needs to get gas to customers, and we know there are customers in the area who want it. Bernheim does not want to stand in the way of growth. We just want to see conservation keep pace with the growth around us. We want to see nature be able to coexist with the growth of our communities and do so in a, in a responsible manner. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a stark vision there. There's not a lot of places where you can see that much forest contiguous in central Kentucky. Bernheim's one of the few places that still exists like that, but also we're in the most rapidly developing area in the state. So making a stand and, and doing what's right to keep as much nature as we can, I mean, that seems obvious, right? The bats, we mentioned the bats, the federally endangered uh, species like the northern long-eared bat, the Indiana bat, um, the gray bat, and numerous other species. We've got 13 species that, that roam this property. Um, and the bats are actually what allowed us to get the funding to purchase it. Uh, because we've documented them through research projects, we've actually captured the bats, we've tracked them across the Cedar Grove Wildlife Corridor, we found the trees that they put their maternity roosts in. We know that they're there, and so does the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. That's one of the reasons why there's a holdup right now with the biological opinion, because the bats aren't getting fully vetted and getting the, the respect that they deserve. And so we'll, we'll see what comes from that. And the snails. So, you know, four years ago, somebody told me, who I respect a lot, said a snail will never stop a pipeline. <laughs> but that didn't stop us from trying, right? And, um, you know, we're still talking about them. This, this hidden spring snail, you know, I take people down there, like the, the Kentucky Student Environmental Coalition who went down there with us recently. And, uh, you know, I take them to the rock where some of these snails are at. And you hit to the next one, the next slide too. Uh, the bluff vertigo. So the hidden spring snail is in the spring there in the creek. But the bluff vertigo was actually on this giant 
rock outcrop right there above the creek. And I take them there and I, I show it to them and, and they're looking at it. I don't really think they can see it, maybe. <laughs> Some people don't even believe that it really exists, you know. But if you don't believe it exists, look it up on NatureServe. You know, these are critically endangered snail species. Um, you can Google it. NatureServe keeps all the biological data from, for all the species in the United States. And you'll see that this bluff vertigo is only known from less than 30 locations. It doesn't mean it gets a lot of cred with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and other groups. Hidden spring snail is only known from less than five locations in the United States. Again, doesn't get a lot of respect because it's hard to see them. But nevertheless, they've been there for probably millions of years. And we're going to keep fighting to make sure they're there for a lot longer. Um, golden eagles, you know, golden eagles have kind of become our mascot at Bernheim. They're a symbol of large wild places. Anywhere you go across the world, they're um, a symbol of, of, you know, symbol of conservation. And so what we've learned about the eagles at Bernheim is they are coming here because of our large undisturbed forest where you can still get away from roads and agriculture and humans and we've been tracking these eagles for oh, since 2015 so I guess coming up close to 10 years now um, and every year they come back because Bernheim is a safe place for them they find refuge there and so I guess my point is that you know we're all here because we care about the issue and we're all here because we're willing to do something about it, right? And everybody keeps saying, we want to do something. How can we get more involved? What can we do to help Bernheim? I would say there's a couple things, just like with the snails, with the eagles, um, we can lend our voice to things that have no voice. You know, speak for the trees, speak for the rocks, speak for the snails, let out the eagle yell, whatever it takes to let people know you all care. Um, another thing, Bernheim plans on being in this fight for a lot longer. Our legal defense has been exceptional. We've got Randy Strobo with, with uh, Strobo Barkley representing us. We've also got Kentucky Resources Council with Tom Fitzgerald and Ashley Wilms. Um, but, you know, it takes a lot of money to fight these things. And so we need your all support um, to help keep up this legal defense. So you could either donate to our land protection fund if you wanted, you could even donate to a place like Kentucky Resources Council. They do so much good work beyond Bernheim. Um, and lastly, um, you know, what else can you do? Uh, stay informed, keep attending events like this, and keep up the pressure on LG&E because really this is, as Mark said, a symptom of a much bigger issue. And this pipeline is a good chance for LG&E to do what's right and to really start um, to turn the tide on dependence on fossil fuels and dependence on more pipelines and really start to make a change that's going to do right for our community. Um, last, last slide, I think we're, we're almost through. Click through a couple more and we'll put it on the... This is a, this is a view right here of, of some of that encroachment upon Bernheim. You can see the knobs in the background with the fog and the you know, the morning dew on it, and that's all Bernheim in the background. But in the front, you see all those 50-acre industrial warehouses. They don't have fog hanging over them. You know, they have already altered the climate around where they're at to where it's a much different place. And um, Bernheim's going to do everything we can to resist the changes and the impacts that come from development like that around us while still fully embracing our community, 
being there for the people that work in these businesses, supporting growth in Bullock County, but letting them know that we've got a right to exist too. Thank you all so much. All right, next is the Reverend Lisa Owen. She's Executive Director of Kippel, Kentucky Interfaith Power and Light. It's Kentucky's chapter in a national network dedicated to making the connection between spirituality and environmental sustainability. And from that strong foundation, enabling people of faith and conscience to witness in their communities the pressing need to mitigate the worst effects of climate change. Kippel does that by helping religious groups reduce the carbon footprint in their local religious settings, and they advocate at the local, state, and national level for policies that will do the same. Kippel's director is an ordained Presbyterian pastor with significant church leadership experience who also brings to her work a background in electric sector regulation. Reverend Owen. Good afternoon. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. One of the um, most exciting things that has happened to Kippel in the last year is that we have lived into a partnership with the Louisville Climate Action Network, whose executive director is sitting right there. She's um, Sarah Lynn Cunningham. And what we did this summer, working together with um, LCAN's expertise, is that we took 44 tons of carbon out of the air. <laughs> and we did that working with eight religiously based nonprofits in this city who extend services to people who desperately need them. So it's kind of like win, 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 right? Because we are saving these people who serve our community money we're taking carbon out of the air and we are allowing those people to have more money for their missions what's not to like now here's the problem and it's some of the things that mark and andrew were mentioning it is much easier to prevent new carbon from going into the air than it is to try to reduce the carbon footprint of people that we all know need to use energy. And so that's why on the other side, Kipple does a whole lot of advocacy work. And that's why when people in the um, LG&E shareholders resolution group, which we're, uh, or sh that tries to uh, go to shareholder meetings trying to remind LG&E that we really are in a climate emergency and we really need their partnership. That's why when that group started talking about, oh no, they're taking Bernheim to court again, Kippel said, of course, we need to be involved. And that's why I get to speak to you. Now, I'm here to try to make the connection for you, which others have tried to do, between the global and the local. Okay, and I want to do that by trying to just highlight three things from an October of 2021 report from the International Energy Agency. Now, the International Energy Agency is located in Paris, France, and Paris, France is a long way from Bernheim Forest, Kentucky. But 
What they tried to do in that report is they tried to lay out what they called a pathway to 2050, right? Which is when we have to get to net zero, which net zero really isn't even enough, but let's just play for a moment and say that it is. Um, we're trying to get to net zero by 2050 so that we can keep, uh, we can meet the 1.5 degrees warming, not go over that. And we do that by putting some, um, this is the way my father used to help me study for tests, okay? He would take the floor and he would lay out pieces of paper, right, on the floor. And he would say, this is how we're going to connect the dots between this and this, historically speaking, because my father's an historian, right? And so basically what the 2050 report does is it tries to get us you got to have steps across the creek, my father would say, right? Elisa, you got to have steps across the creek to be able to make these connections. So that's what this report is trying to do, is to make steps across the creek. So let me just talk to you about three of the things they highlighted and then say, Google that report because it's really interesting, believe it or not. Even if you're not a geek like me, you might be interested. Here are a couple of the things that it says. It says, first of all, that the future is electric, right? So the future is not fossil fuel-based because you can make and transport electricity um, much easier than you can transport uh, hydrocarbons. It's much safer, and transmission lines don't leak, right? Methane, for example, when you um, transport national gas. So they don't, they don't leak. So the future is electric. So that was the first thing that I wanted to highlight for you, right? Because that makes the connection between Paris, France, and LG&E's new pipeline, right? We do not need, this is the second thing from this report that I wanted to, to highlight for you. This report says that after 2021, and we're after 2021, no new fossil fuel infrastructure, period. Their pathway, right? Why? Because their pathway to 2050, which are these steps across the creek, right? Their pathway does not have any room for new projects. Not even if there's a war in Ukraine that Russia is perpetrating, right? We've got to stop with the new fossil fuel infrastructure because you got to pay down those projects, right? And then all of a sudden, we're at 2050 really quick. So, no, we cannot let LG&E put in any new fossil fuel infrastructure. That's the local response to the global energy report from the International Energy Agency, right? So, future is electric, no pipeline, right? What does that mean, logically? No pipeline. We've got to have steps across the creek, no new fossil fuel infrastructure. What does that mean? No pipeline, <laughs> right? So. I'm going to let you look more at the report, but what you will find as you read through that is that, here's the other thing, because the future is electric, right? And I hope that you will make your own connections between that report and this issue. This is a local issue, as Mark highlighted, of a global problem. I appreciate being here. Thanks so much.
Thank you, Reverend Nolan. I finally made some links that I needed to make, so I really appreciate it. Our next speaker is Professor Rob Kingsolver. He holds a doctorate in ecology from the University of Kansas. He's a past president of the Kentucky Academy of Science, author of an ecology textbook for college students, and was the founding dean of Bellarmine University's environmental science program. He recently retired after 40 years of teaching ecology and environmental courses in service to the next generation of scientists. Rob, thanks so much for being here today. Well, thank you, Deborah. I appreciate that listing of my credentials, but really there's only one qualification that I'm standing on as I talk to you this afternoon, and that is I'm a grandfather. And so those of you who have families understand what I'm saying when I tell you that my love for those little ones gives me a stake in the future that extends beyond my own lifetime. And so it's out of concern for them that I read the reports from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change and the National Climate Assessment that comes out every four years. Many of you know that these reports are written not by political appointees, but by career scientists. And these people are chosen by their peers as the most highly qualified, the most accomplished, the most respected voices representing the thousands of researchers around the world who spend their professional careers studying all the factors that influence the weather patterns that impact our daily lives. So one of those factors, as Reverend Owen just talked about, is the greenhouse gases, primarily carbon dioxide and methane, that are generated from the extraction, the transport, and the burning of fossil fuels. And so after decades of exhaustive research effort, uh, probing every nook and cranny of our planet, including all levels of the atmosphere, all depths of the ocean, satellite data, sediment, ice cores, and everything. They have a, a tremendous body of evidence to work with. They have spent decades refining their analytical tools and testing their predictive models. And this is what the experts have to tell us. We have a decision to make right now. We can either cut our greenhouse gas emissions in half within 10 years, or our grandkids are going to live a much more difficult life than my generation has led. And that's a lot to do in a short time. Why 10 years? Because after 10 years, if we haven't made significant progress toward that uh, zero emissions in uh, 2050 that Reverend Owen was talking about, we will cross some points of no return, some tipping points. And from there, we can't get back to where we are now. As an example, you can look at our oceans as we add more and more CO2 to the atmosphere. Those gases are trapping heat, which warms the oceans beyond the thermal tolerance limits of marine species like corals that build coral reefs. We've already killed many coral reefs 
around the world. If we don't cut our greenhouse gas emissions in half within 10 years, we'll lose all of them and we'll never get them back. There are lots more examples, but I have 10 minutes to address you. So I'll let you look those up. Um, so what kinds of consequences are our grandchildren looking at? You can read the reports, they're pretty sobering, but you can get a pretty good idea by watching the national weather reports and listening to the number of times that the meteorologists use words like record-shattering or unprecedented when they describe a coming era of permanent drought in the southwestern United States, which is killing agriculture and threatening the existence of large cities as their reservoirs dry up. You can hear them talk about unprecedented incidents and intensity of wildfires in our parched western forest. Uh, a warmer planet gives us uh, more damaging tornadoes of the kind that devastated western Kentucky last year. It gives us uh, record-setting rainfall, which forces creeks and rivers out of their historic floodplains and which washed away several towns in eastern Kentucky just this year. And of course, hurricanes that uh, lash our coasts are getting so strong now that we had to add another category for hurricane intensity because recent storms have gone off the top of the scale that we've always used. Obviously, we've always had natural disasters, but what we're experiencing is an increase in the frequency and intensity of these weather events, and it's costing us in lives, in property, and in peace of mind as people are driven out of their homes. Two weeks ago, the Associated Press reported that 90% of the counties within the United States have been included in a weather-related disaster declaration zone within the last 10 years. That is not normal. And so this is a high price that we're paying, but it's pretty uh, small potatoes compared to what our grandchildren will be facing. And here's the reason why. The greenhouse gases we put into the atmosphere have a long life. They stay up there working for a long time. Carbon dioxide stays in the atmosphere for 100 years. And every one of those 100 years, it's trapping more heat and adding to this problem. And so the problem is, is increasing, but it, it's not just that our grandchildren will see an increasing problem. If we keep adding more CO2 to the atmosphere, the rate of increase keeps going up in an exponential fashion. So with the status quo, they are looking at consequences an order of magnitude above the difficulties that we're facing now. We've created a dirty avalanche of climate-wrecking pollution that is gaining mass and momentum and destructive power, and it's directed right at our grandchildren. And that is not okay with me. And it shouldn't be okay with anyone. And so there is only one moral response to that information that's available to everyone. 
and that is we've got to cut greenhouse gases in half within 10 years. That's a lot to do in a short time. The only way we're going to get there is to evaluate every project at every level according to that overriding objective, whether it's a new hot water heater for a family home or the design of a building for an office park or an energy project by a public utility. We have to ask, is this project going to help us cut greenhouse gas emissions in half within 10 years? As far as this pipeline project goes, uh, there are people here who know more about it than I do. But I'm pretty certain that cutting a permanent scar across the face of a cherished conservation area and knocking down acres of trees and pushing out an obsolete fossil fuel to a bigger customer base and heaping more negative consequences onto our grandkids is not helping. And so I'm not here to vilify LG&E. They are my utility. What I'm asking is their leadership look at this project and others within the larger context. If they do that, they will realize they cannot afford to do this. LG&E needs that $80 million and all the personnel and the time that they've earmarked for this pipeline to upgrade our electrical grid in Louisville to better accommodate rooftop solar. They need to invest in energy storage capacity in the way the automobile industry is investing. And while they're at it, they could rewrite their rate structure to actually reward customers for saving energy. And so I'll just end with this appeal to the directors of my utility. I want you to stand up, be a leader, check your moral compass, and do the right thing. Not for me, but for the grandkids. Thank you so much, Rob. Kenyatta Johnson is our next speaker, uh, and she recently finished up with her role as the Bernheim Ambassador, a program to foster relationship between Bernheim individuals and organizations that are currently underrepresented at Bernheim. Through this program, Kenyatta got involved with the Kentucky Student Environmental Coalition, KSEC, and catalyzed KSEC's focus on the LG&E pipeline, and they are really doing amazing work. Um, She'll be speaking with us today about her own relationship with this issue and why it's important for young people to be part of it. Kenyatta, thank you for being here. We heard from some other speakers already the mention of sustainability, and so I do just want to ask the crowd, how many of you wonder, like, what the future will look like for your children or even your children's children? How many of you started thinking about that when you were in middle school or high school? How many of you started thinking about it maybe in college or maybe after you had children? Cool, cool, cool. So I feel like as a young adult, 
That is a question that we think about as early as elementary and middle school. Not per se because we just want to, but we're just forced with all the climate crisis that's happening around us. And so when we think about these issues, we wonder when we get older, when our children grow up or when our grandchildren grow older, what will become a luxury for just a necessity to live, like clean air, access to water, food, soil, all of those things that should already be included, all of those things that our predecessors had and then some, I don't think it's fair, and I speak for a lot of young adults in the room and just in the communities, for that to be something we should have to give up or something that we should only have to deal with and make solutions for. And I feel like as young adults, we're often asked or told, well, you are our future, what are you gonna do to solve the problem? As young adults, we look at you guys and say, well, what are you doing to solve the problem? We don't want our problems and your problems and to try to fix it. It's stressful. It's stressful. It's depressing. It's like doomsday every time you go outside or doomsday every time you hear about all of these weird freaks of nature happening. And people wonder why this generation is like on anxiety medicine and all those things like that. <laughs> but it's like, it's, it's a lot to take in, especially from a small child. And then you feel like your voice is not being heard as a young adult, that you're being overlooked in terms of policies, um, especially environmental policies. And so with that, I just wanna add, just in conversations with other young adults and even high schoolers, um, because I consider them to not be quite there yet, but just all young people in general. Like, we don't want another pipeline. Like, that's just it. We don't want a pipeline today. We don't want a pipeline tomorrow. We didn't want the pipelines that our elders put out here either. We want to work on being... Thank you, thank you. We want to work on being more sustainable for the future. And it's not like it can't be done because there are several models out there where this has been done. Um, and with lg and &E specifically, they have renewable energy plants in other parts of the world. Even in Kentucky, it's been proven and we've seen that it's done. So why are they choosing Bullock County? Why are they choosing now to build this pipeline and make it seem as if this is a good for everybody when I personally don't think it is? And so in this fight against the pipeline, I just want to say that Young people are doing the work to make sure that we have sustainability, to make sure that our voices are heard, but this isn't something that we can do alone. Like, we need support. We need support intergenerationally. We need support socioeconomically. We need support from all different cultures, all different backgrounds. There's so much information and so much knowledge and, and different methods to help fight this that will make us all better in the end. And so we, as young people, make moves for our future. But as a collective, like, we can make a movement against this pipeline. We can make a movement against fossil fuels and non-renewable energy sources. Thank you. Thank you. And so I'm going to end. I just want to say, as young people, we are trying to reclaim agency, reclaim our voices, and advocate for the futures that we want to see. And right now, that voice is telling us we don't need a new pipeline. We don't need fossil fuels right now. And we really want to provide and help to create a future that is gonna be good for everybody. So we don't have to worry so much about will our children get to see this rare snail at Bernheim? Will they be able to go outside and, and worry if the dirt is gonna poison them? Like all of these small things, like we want to work now with the help of everybody to kind of mitigate that. We don't want it here, we don't want it now, and we don't want it anywhere else either.
Because if it happens here, who's to say it's not going to happen in Tennessee or going to happen in Louisiana? So we are setting the stage for that. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kenyatta. All right. Well, if there are any questions for the Bernheim folk, we'll take a few questions. I just want to know if you need our community support on January 10th in court. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's always interesting question about does packing a courtroom make a difference? You know, I think community support is valuable whenever and wherever. Uh, hi, my name's Jeff. I want to thank our speakers and everybody for, for being here today. It's nice to... Uh, I didn't feel alone, but I feel less alone now. <laughs> so one quick question. A number of people said that this is not any good for anybody, but I'm guessing that uh, there must be some profit for somebody uh, involved here, otherwise no one would do it. So I wonder if we might know the names of some of the people who can financially profit from this destructive pipeline, uh, possibly the churches that they belong to and some of the other companies that might be supporting LG&E in this destructive process. I'm not sure I can give you specifics like that, but um, you know, this is, this is a big development supporting project. And I mean big development, not necessary for the average household. It didn't start that way. This was about bourbon distilleries. It's about big box warehouse distribution centers. By the way, they're popping up like mushrooms down there, just everywhere. This is about LG&E making money for their parent company. Remember, this isn't a local energy company. This is a subsidiary of PPL, Pittsburgh Power and Light which is a huge corporation. So, you know, it is big business as usual is what it is. And as we've been hearing today from all of these eloquent speakers and all of your hearts, uh, we can't afford to continue with business as usual. We want good business. We want sustainable business. We want economic vitality for everybody. We want equity in that economy. But we're not going to get it by doing big business as usual. So it sounds like people from Pittsburgh are trying to tell us what to do. <laughs> uh, PPL's probably got stakeholders and, and shareholders across the world. Where is the court? What court is it? I'm on the same page with Ellen here. So the court is the Bullitt County Circuit Court. It's in Shepherdsville. And I'll, and I'll just add also your question that you had about who does this impact or who can we let know about it. The group that organized this meeting has got a website together and they've got letters that you can send to the president of PPL, of the uh, president of LG&E, Andy Bashir, and some of these other decision makers. So please go to their website, check that out. They've also got some information about the signs and the, and the court case and some of these other things too. You know, we've been vilified, Bernheim and some of these other groups have been vilified around this issue by LG&E for a long time. They've gone so far as to create a website to counter some of these talking points that we've got. We've been trolled for four years now and that's ramping up again, you know, for trying to do the right thing. So we're not here to vilify people. We know that there are corporations and households and others that rely upon LG&E to get their energy. And so we're not vilifying them. But we want everybody to remember, Bernheim is being sued over this. And, you know, we, we want to hold LG&E accountable but not point our fingers at others. The question was, how long do we expect the condemnation case to last? Anywhere between one and four days is what we expect. 
and hopefully in that time we can make some really good points about the alternative opportunities that LG&E has, the fact that this didn't start with a transparent nature, the fact that they're still not transparent, and the fact that, you know, there are good choices moving forward to meet those energy needs, including conservation activities in the meantime. So uh, we will see. So Mark's right, the condemnation case could be very quick. And again, it's, it's stacked against us. But with your all support, and everybody supporting Bernheim and our land protection defense fund, we could probably appeal this. And so it won't be over. This is not going to be the end of it. This is just be the beginning of that condemnation phase. And we could see that case drag on for years if we act properly. Uh, oh, yeah. And, and also to mention that the Army Corps still hasn't decided on the, the water issue. The Center for Biological Diversity Challenge is still going on. All the permits are on hold. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of ball left to be played. What's the Attorney General doing to help? I'm, I'm sure he's paying attention to it. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, you all should ask him. That would be a question for Daniel Cameron. I really can't answer that. Very quickly, who are the decision makers that have the ability to turn the key off? Well, I would, I would assume the decision makers on this pipeline are within the power structure of LG&E and PPL. And the governor? I don't know what the governor's role can be on this. I used to do environmental enforcement for a living and I was the prosecuting witness for 50 some odd cases in court. And I guarantee you that when I filled all the seats with the neighbors, the judges got very attentive. The juries recognized that there was something going down. Everybody slowed down, took their time and thought about what they were doing. So I do think it's important that however many days you're in court, there's no empty seats. There should be people like us just to observe what goes on. I want to take a moment and just thank you all for your time and attention to this issue and to all issues related to the climate. We are in a crucial moment of time. And I agree. I worry about my kids and their kids. And, you know, we are the ones that will be held responsible for the future. So let's do it, gang. Let's do it. Thank you again. To remind you, we have a website. It is savebernheimnow.org savebernheimnow.org and you can go there anytime 24 hours a day and you can get the latest information on what's going on with this campaign there's an online petition that's there now the latest information ideas and ways that you can take actions i also want to remind you that a good group of us are committed to showing up every friday at noon throughout the month of december out in front of lg and e that's down located across the street from the yum center right downtown but it's a great thing to do and i'm going to be out there on a friday afternoon and i hope to see some of you all out there joining us kind of raising a public stir there's a good thing to do about that thank Thank you all for being here. In closing, I just want to say that, you know, I think what we have been talking about here today is more than just another good cause. It is more than just about doing the right thing. It is an expression of our deepest held values. It is about understanding our true relationship to one another and to our planet and the responsibilities that come out of that relationship. Central to my faith as a Unitarian Universalist 
is knowing that I am part of something that is so much bigger than just me, just my family, my comfort, my home. Something larger than myself which creates and sustains and brings meaning to life. Some of us here today call that something God. Some of us know it by other names, goddess or spirit or mother earth or perhaps no name at all. In this congregation, we often speak of this source as the interdependent web of all existence. This means that me and you and all of us are, of course, connected, linked together with everything else. This is not just a theological or a theoretical idea. It's the fact of living, right? And my own life, your life, our well-being can never be separated from the well-being of that tree that I can see right out there on the patio. That squirrel that makes a home in that tree. The birds that flock to its limbs. Because of biology, or maybe fate, or maybe design, we human beings have been given the ability to dramatically impact all of the other living things on our planet. Along with this power comes the ability to make choices. Choices which prioritize profits and short-term convenience. Or choices which respect the sacred relationships that we all share. Being here today, being part of this effort that we are engaged in, is about making a choice. So as you go out into this wonderful city, into this wonderful place that we call home. As you go out and use your voice and your presence and your time and your energy to speak out about this pipeline project, I encourage you to focus your heart and, and your mind and your spirit. Don't focus on the evil of LG&E or the greed or the, the short-sightedness of it all. I encourage you to instead focus and be guided by your sense of reverence for this beautiful land that we are blessed to call our home. Let that beauty be part of what motivates you. This effort that we are doing here is an act of love, of respect, and of care for the reality of our connections. It is about doing what we must, being our best selves, caring for this incredible planet. And, you know, and it's about being able to know that the future will be better. There is a better way, and we can all be a part of it. Thank you all so much for being here today. Get out there with your signs and your t-shirts and your petitions, and let's do this. Thank you. And that's how the Save Bernheim Now event ended up closed by Reverend Bruce Beisner from All People's Church. It was held there on December 4th, and we were thrilled to bring it to you right here 
on Truth to Power. We look forward to being back in your ears again in one week's time. Be well and take action for sustainability, my friends.